Let's pray. Father, we honor you, bless you. Thank you for what you're about to do here in this place. Thank you, Father, for the word that is about to come forth. I thank you, God, that you are moving, that you are among us, that you, Father, speak. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be the spirit of truth and to speak into our lives. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said... I want to welcome you to the first installment of I Am. We are going to be doing a series based on this situation. Who do you think you are? You know, all of us have this idea of what identity means. Uh, I could pull out a driver's license and say, this is who I am. It's got my birth date on it. It's got a number on it that puts me in the system. And it has a picture on it and says, this is who I am. But is that really who I am? All of us think we're something else, and if I was to go around and start asking you, well, who are you? If I was in this section, someone would say, well, I'm a student. If I was over here in this section, maybe someone would say, I'm a parent. I am a welder. I am a, I'm in the Air Force. Everybody has these things that we tag identity to. When I was a young Christian, brand new, 18, 19 years of age, and I began to walk with Jesus... One of the first things that God began to deal with me about was my identity because I had grown up in a non-Christian home in an environment where there were a lot of things allowed or at least not, not completely, they didn't have boundaries, so to speak. In other words, I could pretty much do what I wanted. I could come and go as I wanted. I had my own vehicle. And my own, had a little weekend job. I was, so I was fairly independent as an 18, 17-year-old goes. In fact, on Friday, Alicia, my daughter, and I drove back through my little hometown. We were going to go visit some friends in Lubbock and actually do some ministry there on Friday. And I drove through and drove, and I saw the drag where we used to drive around and round and round and round. And we could fill up for about three bucks of gasoline. That would get us for the whole night. And we would just go round and round and enjoy our time and had a great time together and got into a lot of trouble downtown Post, Texas. Anybody know where Post is? Kind of a spot in the road. There is a Stripes. You can stop in and get a corn dog, but that's about it. They do have Allsup's with the wonderful burritos and corn dogs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And uh, so, and that's about it. I mean, it's a small school. Back at then, it was a 3A school. It's actually smaller now. But as we drove through posts, I was kind of just scanning and looking around. I was like, well, that used to be a gas station I used to work at, and now it's nothing. And, wow, there's actually a building there, and there's nothing there. And things have changed through the years, so it doesn't look the same. But yet, driving into the city limits of that little community took me back for a minute. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever go home and all of a sudden you revert to being 12 again? You step into an environment and all of a sudden you almost, your mind starts to think that way. Well, driving through town, I I saw Holly's Drive-In there on the left and remembered how many really bad cheeseburgers I ate there. And we basically invented the blizzard there. and, and, And I mean, there were just things... In fact, I think my name is on the wall somewhere there, maybe even an old football picture from high school. But going back there took me back. But here's the thing. I'm not that person anymore. That is not who I am. I am not a bold gold antelope. 
That is no longer my identity. In fact, my identity now doesn't even rest in the fact that, and these are some things that I am. I'm a daddy. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm a person. But at the end of the day, my identity rests in something much bigger and broader than those terms, even though those are wonderful, noble things. My identity is this. I am a son of the Most High God. That is who I am. And I don't know about you, but I occasionally have bad moments in days. I don't necessarily have a lot of bad days, but I certainly have some bad moments in a day. In fact, I don't believe in having a whole bad day. I just think that there's things we can do about that. And there are ways you can shift perspective in the middle and actually change the course of a day. Can I get a witness on that? And so I may be having a bad moment, but I will not have a whole bad day. It's just not worth it. I love what one writer said. He said, ever since you got born again, he said, you haven't had a bad day, really. But I have bad moments too, and I have to go back to and step into my identity of who I am in Christ and in God in order to sometimes pull myself out of the oppression, the depression, whatever it is that may be trying to drag me down. Because we all face things every day that have the potential and the capacity to drag us down to where we do not walk anymore with a swagger. In fact, we will find ourselves being slumped over and actually feeling the weight. Feeling. Have you ever talked to anybody and you tried to have a conversation, they won't even look you in the eyes, and they're constantly looking down, and they're, they're so self-conscious, so so, and that word is so accurate, self-conscious. And it's because at some point they forgot who they were. Identity is a critical, critical issue. We're going to spend several weeks talking about this issue. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles today, and we're going to start here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which is where we started before. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version today. As you all know, I mix it up from time to time. The Apostle Paul is writing the church in Corinth. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice the words in Christ. They're critical here. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things. The word behold simply means see. See, notice, all things have become new. Someone say all things. All things have become new when we are in Christ, and that is the critical, the critical issue there. Verse seven or 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. There's a word right there, very important. Reconciled means reconnected. Reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of, of reconciliation. You have the ministry of reconnection on your life. That is a call. That is a part of your identity, a minister of reconciliation. Okay, keep going. That is that God was 
in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And you're going to see this, this phrase, these two little words, in Christ, over and over and over. Not imputing, in other words, not counting their trespasses, their sins to them, and has committed to us the word, another way to say that is the message of reconnection, the message of reconciliation. Next verse. Now then, we are ambassadors. Now, that's an interesting word there. An ambassador is a, the highest-ranking dignitary who represents one nation to another nation. The highest-ranking diplomat. And it says this, that we are the highest-ranking diplomats for Christ. Now, look what it says. As though God were pleading through us. In other words, God is appealing to the world through us because we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. It says, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be, there's that word again, reconnected, reconciled, made right with God. Verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, this I was reading this early this morning and spending some time in worship, and I literally, as I read this this morning, I just began to, to tear up because it really hit me what this is saying, that God made him, that's Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin. In other words, he didn't just lay our sin on him and go, okay, now, now you're going to pay for the sins of the world. We know he did that. But he didn't just do that. He actually became sin. He became the very essence and nature of that sin. In that moment, on a cross, everything we've ever done collectively in the history of man came to bear on one person in that moment. And no wonder the Bible even talks in terms of, and medical experts have gone back to say, you know what, literally it could be that his heart literally burst thereby the mixing of the water and the blood. It says this, that he made him, God made Jesus who knew no sin, who was sinless, to be sin for us, that we might, and here's the benefit, we might become the righteousness of God in him. It absolutely overwhelmed me this morning as I sat in my study, my man cave, and was just allowing the truth of this word to wash over me. And the word that kept coming back to me over and over is that my identity is found in the grace of God. Now, grace gets thrown around a lot today. In fact, people even get upset and go, you know, all this grace talk, all this grace talk. Well, let me tell you something. I don't think we talk about it enough. Because, yes, we can, we can talk about the justice of God. We can talk about the judgment of God, and there is a judgment coming. We can talk about that. We know that. In fact, it's so burned in us. It's so innate in us that I don't know that we need to talk about it much, but we do need to talk about it some. There's a real hell that those who do not come to know Christ as Savior 
And, Lord, they will spend an eternity in a devil's hell away from God, separated. Now, I don't... Now, it, we're in church, so that shouldn't bother anybody when I say that, but it's an interesting how our culture has become. Now, flip the coin. There is another side, and it is this. It is his grace. Dr. Frankie Rainey, one of my favorite professors in college, used to define grace in this way. He used a simple acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. God's riches, everything that God has at Christ's expense. He paid the highest price. And as I read this this morning, I was absolutely overwhelmed. In fact, I was a mess as I read this and was listening to some music. I was like, oh, Lord. Had the thought this week, I was driving through town, and Alicia and I were talking about this. And I just said, Lord, I am so the least likely person for you to use to preach the gospel. I mean, in the natural. I mean, I was such a mess. I was so broken, so selfish, so self-centered. And you know what's frightening is I can still resurrect the old man. I know none of you ever have throw a resurrection party for the old man that died and was buried and all that. I know none of y'all have that issue, but occasionally I have these resurrection parties. Don't tell me the Lord doesn't raise people from the dead. I do it on a daily basis. Resurrecting that old nature, resurrecting that flesh, resurrecting old behavior patterns, falling back on coping mechanisms that's got you through some hard times, but, but literally allowing those things to come back up, and then here we go. We've got to fight the good fight of faith again. And I had this thought, Lord, why would you use me to preach good news? And I felt like he said, and I didn't hear a voice. I don't hear audible voices or anything like that. But here's what I felt. Well, you're just the person I need to use. Because you're so messed up that the only way you can do anything that benefits anybody is if I'm involved. So you're just the material to be used. That should help all of us here. Because if you think, you know, I'm so messed up, I don't see how God can use me. Then you are just the material that God wants to use. There was a nurse. She was hired and given a task. And her task was to take care of one child. Now, this wasn't just any child. This was a special child. In fact, this child was the grandson of one of the most powerful kings in the world at the time. And this little child began to grow up, and this, this nurse was kind of a nanny, and she took care of him. And, and, and at the time, the, the nation that this was a part of was in a very volatile political situation, very volatile military situation. And, and this little child was growing up in that volatile atmosphere. In fact, many of the people lived in fear because wars were being fought not only on the home front but other places as well. And so it was, it was a time of tumult. At the age of five, 
This child's beginning to grow up, formative stages, beginning to come into his own. And this nanny was taking care, this nurse was taking care of the child. And they got word that his grandfather had gone out with his three sons, one of them being this child's father, and they were going to go and they were going into a military conflict. They went into that military conflict, and the first three leaders of the nation were, were killed almost instantly in this horrific battle. And part of the reason why they lost the battle was because the king himself made a very grave tactical error. He made a mistake. And because of it, he saw his own three sons killed in battle. This army continued to, to press on and pursue, and they moved up to a high place, and, and the army was trying to come up the hill and come after them, and this king knew that they were going to get him, that it, it was over. And he was watching, watching his own men fall by the arrow, by the spear, by the sword. And so he took a way out. He killed himself. So now you've got four members of the royal family dead on a hill. When the news got back to the nanny, to the nurse, there was panic because any time the king fell, then that nation would come into that kingdom, and not only would they take over everything and, and take the spoils for themselves, but they would literally murder every member of the royal family lest there be an heir. And so this, when the news got back to, to the city, then the nurse in a panic, took this five-year-old child, and in that panic, a terrible accident happened. The result was this child's legs were crushed, never developed properly, and that child would now be lame for the rest of their life. The king's name was Saul. One of his sons that died was Jonathan. And the name of the child was Mephibosheth. And this child was now taken into hiding to try to heal and recuperate, which they did. And they took this child to a place, a place named Lodabar. Interesting enough, the, the very name of the city literally means a barren or lifeless place. And so that child, from the time of five, knowing that his father had been killed in battle, his grandfather had been killed in battle, his uncles had been killed in battle, and here he was damaged all on the same day, in the same moment of time, all he knew was brokenness. And listen to this. The circumstances of life had dropped him. And there are people sitting in here right now, and you feel like you've been dropped by circumstances. Almost out of your control. I didn't will this to happen. I didn't try to make this happen. But for whatever reason, life has happened, and this is where I'm at. And I'm broken. Can you imagine that from the age of five? Being a healthy child royalty, the DNA of majesty in your life, and now you're raised, hidden away in a lifeless, barren place, 
in obscurity where nobody knows who you are because if they do, you have the risk of being killed. And you're now raised in that environment, in that atmosphere, that once you were royalty, now you're nothing. And that was Mephibosheth's life. After the king fell and his family fell, then there was a young king ready in position. God had already anointed him and prepared him, and his name was David. David now was inaugurated king of the nation, and he became the king of Israel and began to rule and reign and began to find military success and peace ruled over their land during his reign. And we pick up the story in the book of 2 Samuel. If you want to go there, go there to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We'll have it up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1 says this, Now David said, now this is years later, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? Now look what David says, That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Keep going. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Verse 3. Then the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king asked him, Where is he? And Ziba said to him, Indeed, he is of the house of Mekar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar that barren, dead place. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekar, the son of Amel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face. Now look at, look at Mephibosheth's response. You've got to understand how he has been raised. And now he's coming before the king, which typically meant when a new king took took office that they had the right to literally take the old family out. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now, we're talking about this issue of I am. Who are we really? Who do you think you are? Look who Mephibosheth thought he was. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Leave it right there, Randall. What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? See, his identity had been wrapped up in circumstances. He had been dropped. Life had drop-kicked him. And so instead of being the royalty that he was, the DNA of kingship that was in him, he now has been reduced to a dead dog as I. Let me tell you something. I meet Christians every single day who do not understand who they are. Circumstances have dropped them. They become lame, not so much in their physical, but in their mental, in their thinking, in their spirit. They've been damaged. 
And they have the mentality of Mephibosheth. Living in a barren place, a dead place. In fact, the word Mephibosheth literally means mouthful of shame. And they've taken on this identity because life has drop kicked them. And they have the attitude, well, I'm just a, I'm a nobody, just a dead dog. Let's keep going. Verse 9. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. You shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Do you know why that's so significant? Because when you eat at the king's table, you become the king's family. When you eat at the king's table and you're seated at that table, you look just like everybody else. You know, they couldn't even see his legs. He sat there at the table with dignity, with honor, restored, renewed, just like everybody else. And for that moment, during those meals, he sat there covered. He sat there with dignity, with honor. That old identity fallen away. He shall eat at my table like one of my sons. Next verse. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. He ate continually at the king's table. I imagine he got there before anybody got there and probably lingered until everybody left because in that moment, as he sat at the king's table, he was just like everybody else, restored to honor, restored to dignity. Restored in who he was and his identity. Can imagine David having frustrating moments when Mephibosheth would try to default back to old thinking, default back to old patterns of, ah, you know me, I'm not much, I'm not worth much, I can't do anything. Shut up! Sit at the table, eat another turkey leg, enjoy yourself, have some yams. Come on, somebody, I'm making myself hungry. Feast, dine, you're sitting at my table, you're one of mine, and I'm going to take care of you. I am Mephibosheth. John 15, verse 5, Jesus makes an interesting statement. It says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We're all Mephibosheth. 
We've been allowed a place at the king's table. This is grace. This is mercy. This is forgiveness. Lame in both feet, broken, messed up, not like everybody else. You ever felt out of place? Ever felt like you didn't fit in? Let me just tell you something. You are valued. You, listen to me, you are blessed and you belong. You're valued, you're blessed, and you belong. You are valued, you are blessed, and you belong. Well, pastor, I don't know, that just doesn't sound fair. Grace was never meant to be fair. It's not fair that Jesus had to become sin on a cross to take our stuff. That is not fair. It's the gospel, but it's not fair. And in our Puritan thinking, our, mora- our moralistic relativism, we're like, that doesn't work. That, I should have to earn that. Well, maybe you should, but we don't. We step into the place to say, I accept what Jesus did for me. And like Mephibosheth saying, yes, David, I'll sit at the table. Yes, sir. Yes, king. I'll sit at the table. We sit at the table and we dine and we're hidden. All of our junk's hidden. When we're sitting at the table with him, listen, he can't see your scars. It's covered. He can't see your brokenness. It's covered. He can't tell that you were dropped by life because it's covered. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's covered. It's not fair. It's just the gospel. And the next time somebody tries to make you feel less than who you are, you need to say, I'm a Mephibosheth. If you could pronounce it. <laughs> My daughter was like, I can't pronounce that. Like A lot of people can't pronounce that. You say, I'm, I'm, I've got to make a, I'm, I'm that guy. The next time the enemy comes to you and tries to be the accuser of the brethren, which the Bible calls him in Revelation chapter 12, says he stands before the throne accusing before, accusing them before God day and night. That's 24-7. You sleep, he doesn't. And that accuser just keeps speaking those echoes of the past, those names. You're worthless. You're unimportant. You don't matter. Nobody cares. You're alone. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. You say, oh, no, 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 I'm a Mephibosheth. I'm sitting at the table. And in this moment, while I'm at this table with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I'm somebody, devil. I'm somebody, co-worker. I'm somebody, culture. Sat with a student from Texas Tech University on Friday. Me and Alicia went to minister to this young student. Beautiful girl from Southern California. Blonde, curly hair. On the outside, looks like she's got it all together, and she sits there through tears and says, I feel worthless. Worthless. And I'm like, wow. 
You're what most people want to be, but you feel worthless because her identity has never been secured in Christ. In Christ. You know what it means to be in Christ? I'll keep it simple. We'll have our worship team make their way up. (sighs) To be in Christ means you're placed in him. I have a bag. I carry a bag. I got a bunch of bags, and I carry them around. And in my bags, I can put things like electronics. Like, if as long as I take my electronics out into a West Texas sandstorm or an occasional thunderstorm, which we don't get often, but when we used to get those, as long as I have it in my bag, it is safe. As long as it's there, it's protected. It's covered. It's protected from the elements. It's protected from any kind of moisture or dirt or anything, or even from somebody just grabbing it and running. It's in the bag. It's protected. Let me tell you what it means to be in Christ. It means to be protected. It means to be in him. It means to be covered. Mephibosheth, sitting at the table, was protected, was covered. I mean, I can put all kinds of things in this bag, and as long as they're in that bag, and this bag is with me, it's protected. I've got my SpongeBob water bottle. It is protected. I grabbed this from my daughter's little thing. But as long as it's in my bag, it's protected. As long as you're in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean things aren't going to happen. The bag goes where I go. If I roll my car, the bag's rolling. You know what I mean? It's going to go. Things are going to happen. Life happens. But it's still protected. It's still in. It's still in. And my question for you this morning, are you in Christ? Are you in him? Because let me tell you, that's where grace is found. That's where mercy is found. That's where forgiveness is found. Is in Christ. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation in Christ, protected. Some of you haven't pulled up to the table of the Lord in a long time because you don't feel like you're worthy. And like Mephibosheth, you're just like, you know what? just full of shame, and I live in Lodabar, I live in a barren, dry place, it's time to pull back up to the table. Pull up to the table and say, Lord, pass me a turkey leg. Lord, throw me some of that cream gravy on that chicken fried steak. Lord, send that cornbread down my way. Okay, I'm going to stop. We're almost done. Pull up to the table, pull up to the table, pull up to the table. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this issue of identity. Because some of you, like Woody from Toy Story 2, when Stinky Pete had looked straight at Woody and say, you don't know who you are. How many of y'all remember that poignant scene from one of the greatest movies of all time? Epic. But true, some of you forgot. 
We're here to remind you of who you are so that when you step out of this church building, in here it's easy, but when you step out of here and you go into class and you go to work and you go home to a less than great situation, when you're stepping out into culture, you have to remember, wait a minute, I'm a Mephibosheth and though I'm broken, I'm at the table and as long as I'm at the table, as long as I'm with him, as long as I'm in Christ, I, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Every head bowed, every eye.